0: Hey, guys, Montel here. Welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. You know, as 2022 ignites and blows up and starts off with a bang, and we know it has started off with a bang, it's worth a pause to assess where the U.S. cannabis industry stands from a legal and regulatory perspective. Despite steady acceptance across the United States with 37 medical, and 18 recreational states, serious discussion on Capitol Hill, and serious discussion on Capitol Hill, and increasing growth in revenues by U.S. companies, cannabis companies, recent regulatory and law enforcement action, and inaction seem to belie any optimism for legalization anytime soon. My guest today has over 35 years of experience in the legal regulatory compliance area, and the past six of which are in the cannabis industry. He's a frequent author, and a panelist for cannabis industry issues, and currently the chief regulatory advisor for the American Trade Association for Cannabis and Health, Hemp, and also is chairing its CBD task force and the founding member of its Cannabis Beverage Council, Mr. Gary Kaminsky. Thanks so much for being here and being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montella Day,
1: sir. Welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Absolutely.
0: Gary, let's let's start off by taking a break for just a second. and Tell us a little bit about your background as a U.S. SEC attorney in in D.C.
1: Absolutely. Um, I started my career back in the late 80s. Um, basically busting people for insider trading and market manipulation. I worked on some very high-profile cases. For those of our listeners who are, are like you and I, Montel, and have been around for a while, that would be Drexel and Ivan Bosky. But the most important thing is I developed an expertise in the securities industry, which allowed me to go into the industry on the other side to help people navigate very complex regulatory environments. And my career really was focused on complex regulatory environments, whether they be with a proprietary trading firm or my own hedge funds. And that was a perfect lead in to the cannabis space, um, because as we all know, cannabis is the ultimate regulatory arbitrage where it's federally illegal, but legal on a state by state basis, requiring deliberative navigation of, of regulations.
0: I mean, I got to tell you, I would think it's probably one of the most complicated industries in America today, don't you think?
1: It is. It's a very unique industry because I don't think there's historically ever been an industry in this country where the feds have claimed that you're basically violating a federal statute, in this case, the Controlled Substance Act, which triggers anti-money laundering and all types of other challenges. Yet, on a state-by-state basis, it's perfectly legal. Um, and that is where we get into the issues that you just highlighted, Montel.
0: And it's also confusing because now that we have a farm bill that kind of, in a sense, kind of legalized hemp in some ways for interstate commerce, or um, but it didn't really legalize hemp um, because in some states there are police officers that are still arresting people for hemp transportation, even when they do test the product to recognize that it is legally hemp. So I mean, this is this is a nightmare, and and one that no one seems to want to take the lead in trying to correct.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the farm bill was well intentioned, and certainly Mitch McConnell um, for his constituents in Kentucky, who are large hemp farmers, hemp farmers in states like North Carolina, have have were supposedly the the beneficiaries of the farm bill. The challenge was that the farm bill is trying to regulate a plant. And the plant is cannabis sativa L. And as you well know, it's the same plant. The only difference is on a random day, 15 days before harvest, you test that plant. And if on a dry weight basis, and that's a very important point we'll get to later, it's below 0.3% Delta nine THC, we call it hemp. If it's above that, it's hot hemp or marijuana. Yet the other cannabinoids, of which 150 or some we know about, are all identical molecularly. The CBD, the CBG, the CBDA, the Delta-8, et cetera, is all identical. So when we said we legalized hemp, we really created an environment where the plant itself, if it tests below that, is technically legal. But reality is very few people smoke hemp it is some in some states interesting it's much better than tobacco but in most cases you're taking that biomass and you're putting it through a process and extracting it down to its element cannabinoids which at that point the farm bill didn't have any regulations for that it didn't even envision extraction and that's created some very complex issues across the country and as you pointed out even even the provisions that were supposed to Um, mitigate mitigate problems of interstate commerce have not been rectified because there are some states where we're seeing seizures. We're seeing seizures right after of biomass that clearly was hemp, but you can't tell the difference. Why? Because it's the same plant. Well, you
0: know, when, when did you first become interested in the cannabis industry?
1: Um, Well, realistically, when I was in college, but that was a different interest and as most people. But in terms of the current cannabis industry, about six years ago, I was approached by a fledgling private equity firm because that's where my space was advising alternative investment fund managers on regulatory compliance. And this person saw my background and said, you know what? This is the most regulatory intensive strategy there has been. I think your discipline could be great for it. And I immediately started consulting. I went out to a conference and spoke on a panel. And the thing that was really eye opening to me was typically a legal panel in a business industry conference would be at 530 the last day when everybody's running to the cocktail party. Well, at this cannabis conference, we t- we kicked off the conference because regulatory is so important. So for me, as kind of a compliance geek, it really attracted me. And I thought with my skill set, very few of my colleagues who were in the white collar defense business were willing to go into the cannabis business. And I felt that gave me edge.
0: Well, you know, what's really weird about this, though, is that. It seems like to me and I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm a layman here, but but It seems to me that in every state, almost in every single individual municipality in those states, everybody's operating on their own opinion. And I'm saying opinion of how they read regulation. It's not their own assessment of. They just come up with their own opinion and then they throw it into motion. And if it works, it works. And then, oh, oh, I got busted for that. Okay. Well, I'll change my opinion a little bit and do it this way. And then the local police agree and they just, okay, that's fine. And then for a couple of weeks until somebody says, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. Then I change my mind again. And then I do this. that, that. It's, It's ridiculous how we can have a industry that is paying as much in tax dollars as most states require this industry to pay that we can't seem to get some sort of a consensus on anything.
1: Well, I mean, that's very insightful, Montel. I mean, I always like to say in cannabis, there's law and there's lore. And the lore is really the only thing that matters. Because what you had was a number of states, particularly the early states, the Washingtons, the Colorados, the Californias, who had to come up whole cloth with regulatory guidelines. And no one really knew what it was. And it clearly the cannabis industry, as it's developed over 37 states, has become very different state by state, which is going to make interstate commerce very challenging. And we can talk about that aspect. But the reality is the regulators are are taking what we used to call a pornography uh, Supreme Court view of it. They know it when they see it and they will come to you and say, This is what we want you to do. Or as you were just saying, you can't do this. Yet it's not in the law and it certainly isn't necessarily what the law would imply. But when you're running a business like that, you need to basically comply with what the regulators tell you and you start to be regulated by email and opinion. And that isn't the way an industry that's a multi-billion dollar industry and frankly, very complex should be regulated. Um, But because of the feds taking a whole standoffish approach, both from enforcement generally and from regulation, we have this void. I mean, the FDA is a classic example of that because the way the farm bill came out, they gave the USDA primary authority. Well, the farm bill. The USDA only cares about a plant. They don't care about extractions and all that. And they, I think there was an assumption that the FDA would just jump in, but the FDA doesn't want to jump in because they feel like it's not their area necessarily. So you have almost like a regulatory ping pong game going on between the FDA, the DEA, the DOJ, the USDA, and at some points, the White House. And no one is really taking the lead to say, let's take revisit this whole thing. Let's look at the plant and let's look at the cannabinoids, which are the rich part of the wellness aspect of this business. And which of the cannabinoids are ones that we feel are going to be needing greater regulation? Well, it appears that the cannabinoids that need greater regulation are the ones that cause some sort of psychoactive, psychotropic effect. Originally, they only thought that was Delta-9-THC, which is what we all know about. But now we know that when the hemp bill came out, when the farm bill came out, and hemp was legalized, the first year or two, people were churning out as much CBD oil as they could. And all of a sudden, there was a glut in the market, and hemp became worth nothing. You could get a pound of hemp for 100 bucks, and the hemp farmers were choking on it. So someone figured out that you could take CBD, add acid to it, move it around a little bit, and you can create an isomer of delta-9-THC, delta-8, that will get you high. And they're selling that in smoke shops. And I know you live in Florida. I live in Florida. In farmer's markets, you can buy infused muffins. Of Delta 8, they're giving out free samples in my coconut grove farmers market, that will get you high. That was not what Mitch McConnell and his colleagues anticipated when they came up with the farm bill. So
0: So, I don't mean to cut you off, but let let me let let me ask this question. Isn't there a DEA law that says that if you make a substance that has the deleterious effects of another substance? And even though it's not on their list of Illegal substances. That substance is illegal by its nature, or something like that. I don't know what the what the. you you're
1: you're you know what you're hitting on a very controversial subject, and it's not a law per se. But in August of 2020, the DEA put out what they called an IFR, an interim final rule, and they 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 put it out as if oh we're just letting you know how we feel about this, and in that missive. They suggested that any product that's synthesized and creates a tetrahydrocannabinol is a controlled substance and therefore um, governed by the Controlled Substance Act, and it doesn't matter where it was derived from. At the time, the industry felt that that was a reaction to the proliferation of Delta-8, which is what we were talking about before, the Delta-8 isomer of tetrahydrocannabinol that gets you high. And at that point, a lot of the Delta-8 purveyors stopped because they were concerned. But that has gone away. And even there have been, and by the way, that wasn't a law, that was just a statement by the DEA. And the industry actually filed a declaratory judgment to try to challenge that that is even supported by any law. But there is not a specific law that says that. And the fact is, is that is a prime example of the ping pong ball. The DEA put that out and then kicked it back to the USDA and the FDA, which then would kick it back to the DEA saying, well, we don't enforce the Controlled Substance Act. And what we have, unfortunately, is a public safety issue, because I don't think the issue should be whether D8 is legal or not. The issue is who's making it, how are they making it? Is it regulated enough and is it tested so we don't have the crisis that we had previously with the vape crisis where you're selling products that have additives in it that are dangerous to the public health? And if you don't have an obligation to test it and go through specific regulations, you have the risk of what we call bathtub gin.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I think that's one of what we can talk about. We're going to talk about a lot lot of things, but that's one of the things I think that this industry is doing a disservice to itself by even producing this product. Why is it necessary? It's not necessary, but it's just people trying to get around, you know, some regulation to see if they can make a buck. And we're spending so
1: much time. Oh, that's totally, totally what it is. It's all, and they're making a large buck. And let me tell you an interesting development that got. The largest company doing this that has been doing it the longest time that I know is called 3chi.com. You can buy a bunch of products online to your door within two or three days. And they include not only Delta 8, but they include THCO. And AKP, which are newly synthesized cannabinoids that we don't even know about that aren't found naturally in the plant, that possibly are definitely illegal and get you higher than Delta 9. The reason I go through that is because as a development, that company has sponsored a NASCAR car that is going to be driving in the Daytona 500. Now, think about that. There is a big, they're the primary sponsor. It's like, from what I understand, $5 million. And 3G.com Delta 8 is on a NASCAR car, a major U.S. sport. And if you recall, Acreage Holdings, which was a company I was working for at the time, attempted to do a Super Bowl commercial two or three years ago. And we knew that they wouldn't let us do it because the Controlled Substance Act prevents uh, advertising of an illegal substance. So we could not do it. Yet- Delta-8 is being advertised on a NASCAR car. So there's a real disconnect.
0: A, a serious disconnect. And I I, I just, uh, you know, when, when I first heard about Delta-8 and I heard about THCO, I was like, you know, somebody needs to kick this industry right dead in the, in the keister, you know, because all you're doing is begging for the DEA and the Fed to come in and stomp on your head. And when they stomp on your head, they stomp on everybody's head because then, you know, it becomes this whole question of anything that's in the back of my truck has to be tested by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing when they test it. And that's another problem. Police municipalities and police officers around offices around the country have not been able to keep up technologically with the the, the testing process to be able to differentiate. Yeah, some of them can send it out to a third party and find out that, oh yeah, this came in at 0.3% THC, but others are you still using some of those stupid little shaking bottles that we know can't differentiate between 0.3 and
1: 0.4? Absolutely so, and then, and the other problem is it's an organic substance Montel. so today it may be 0.3 tomorrow it could be 0.4 you know Right
0: cause, right cuz as as it as it degrades it can also improve I mean it's the same reason why you know we do know that um, you know in that week before harvest process you know, things can change in two
1: days. And 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 just to to highlight how the farm bill is missing it, there's a product on the market now that is a Delta-9 gummy that is derived from hemp and is being sold blatantly as Delta-9 gummies that are legal. And the way they got around this is obviously there is Delta-9 in hemp. And if you process enough of it, you can get enough Delta-9 to make a difference. And what they do is they say, well, the gummy itself has less than 0.3% on a dry weight basis, Delta-9. Well, of course it does. There's gelatin and whatever else is in the gummy. But you know what there is? 10 milligrams of Delta-9. 10 milligram gummies is what the California law is on the most you can put in a gummy. And you can buy that in a smoke shop, unregulated, all over the country. You can buy it online, all over the country. And they are blatantly saying this is legal delta nine THC, which is completely unfathomable. So I mean, I, 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 it leads
0: me to ask a couple questions. One, um, first off, I mean, how do we how do we get to the next phase? In without. More regulation. And, you know, that's the last thing that we need is more regulation. We've had enough regulation, I believe. Um, But the industry is begging for more regulation by doing the stupid things.
1: Well, the industry is going to force it. And as you know, like in any industry, in the securities industry, I used to say, you know, and lawyers always say bad law, bad facts make bad law. And what regulators do when they see problems is they shoot an elephant gun at a flea and they're, it's not precision surgery. So the whole industry will suffer. The answer isn't necessarily, quote unquote, more regulation. It's it's focused resu- regulation, thoughtful regulation where they actually understand the issues. In May, I was invited to go out to the attorney's general annual conference for the first year they had a cannabis section, and they asked me to talk about this Delta-8 issue because they are the primary law enforcement regulator for this country because it's state by state. And it was remarkable how little they knew or understood about these products. But when we explained to them about Delta-8, they immediately said, we need to follow up on that. We did another webinar and explained to them some of these products that are on the market it's, that are a public safety issue. And if you if you couch it as a public safety issue, as opposed to whether this is legal or that is legal, whether it's hemp or marijuana, as I said, it's cannabis sativa L. It's the same plant. It, it, one day it could be hemp, the next day it could be marijuana. It's really not, it's a misguided way to regulate the industry. On, on the other hand, I suspect it took years and hours and hours of negotiation to even get the farm bill out. Now, I just read yesterday that they are amending it in the next several years. And what we're doing at Attach is we're hoping to have the the meetings with the, the appropriate parties to just let them know that we are a resource and we want to help the industry by educating them on what we're really regulating here and what we really want to regulate.
0: You know, and I mean, but I think they, they, I'm glad you're doing that because the industry needs to understand that, you know, again, because of our endocannabinoid system, we don't really know as industry providers what we're doing to people. We don't. We don't know what the effect of Delta 8 is to the endocannabinoid system. We don't know what the effect of THC O is to the endocannabinoid system. So, therefore, we don't know what we're really truly doing. We're trying to achieve a high, so that we can get away with selling something that gets people high. But at the same time, we could literally be destroying the endocannabinoid system. You could be overloading this thing. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but, you know, there's, there's there's something negative that could be happening internally to human beings who ingest this shit, and that's going to come back and bite us all in the ass in about, you know, a year.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true because the first person – that god forbid has a negative reaction oh my god one of these products it's going to be the elephant gun and it's going to eradicate all the progress we've made and that is really the kind of the it's the, the the gist of what you opened with is that what is going on in the industry you know a year and a half ago there was a lot of excitement the companies that are public at least on Canada, because you can't list a plant touching company in the US, which is a whole separate issue. Um, They were very frothy trading thick. Now they're all deeply discounted. Why? Because people had an unrealistic expectation that this thing was going to get legalized. And at this point, I don't see legalization happening for three to five years. I think at best, we should be going for a federal not illegalization and get a state by state referendum as to whether you want it done. The next question is, how do we facilitate interstate commerce if we've got 50 separate states having 50 separate regulations and testing standards? We've been working to try to standardize some of these processes and some of these products. So we work with ASTM International to come up with standards to say, okay, if you meet these standards, then this is certified as something that can be sold into the marketplace. And that's the kind of thing that I think needs to happen more. And hopefully we'll open up the FDA's eyes to start helping the industry as opposed to doing nothing, which is very hurting the industry.
0: Do you think, I mean, we are at a time right now living with an industry that will accept those kinds of, you know, compliance regulations throughout i mean I, I look at this kind of almost like you know the hyperbaric industry in america hyperbaric went you know 30 years 20 years without 25 without a governing body and you know they were hurting people and you know uh, there's an industry that started off in the dive world but then expanded out and became this medical thing that nobody really understood and couldn't regulate so therefore we kind of had anything we wanted to do with it and then finally Finally, there is a body that has decided to step up and say, look, we're going to stop this madness and let's bring it under one roof. That took 25 years. And I don't think the cannabis industry has 25 years, to be absolutely honest with you, especially the way we are as divided as we are as a nation. All we need to do is get one wild hair up, one politician's you-know-what, and the next thing you know, the whole industry is going to come crashing down.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, I've worked in four separate multi-state operators and I have helped set up legal compliance infrastructure for them. Um, I definitely think they want to be compliant. They certainly want to comply with the law, if not the law. The challenge is they are public companies. The The methodology of raising capital has been so challenging that the only way they felt they could get to the point where they could... Finance their business was to have public stock. And the only public stock they could have was by doing reverse mergers in Canada and trading on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Because of that, they have the typical challenges of a public company. They have to generate EBITDA. They have to generate month to month, uh, quarter over quarter improvements. Many times, putting in place restrictions as to how the business can operate is inconsistent with that. And the challenge I face as a legal compliance professional is to help facilitate lawful money making and not be a barrier to it, but also recognize that transgressing any of these laws subjects you to the ultimate uh, danger, which is they pull your license, because that's the only lifeblood these companies have. But they're also faced with challenges like 280E in the in, in Internal Revenue Code, where they can't deduct their business expenses relating to plant touching. So the regulatory structure puts up all types of barriers. Capital markets, we have a capital markets council at attached because without capital markets, how can any business grow? What we say is that the the main investors are the pajama party, you know, retail investors who sit around and really don't trade based on fundamentals. The institutional investors, the hedge funds are very challenged to do this. Credit Suisse and JP Morgan, by way of example, recently shut down all their prime brokerage clients from custodying and trading plant touching U.S. stocks. That's ridiculous. There's no legal reason for that. And that's the kind of knee-jerk reaction you're referring to, Montel. Well, you know, I mean, I,
0: I, I like, what just happened in Pennsylvania? I, you know, and I'm, I'm this is a personal question because I'm, I'm getting ready to, I, I you know, I've have, I have been in and out of this business, this industry multiple times from a business perspective, and I've, I'm launching right now new THC products out of uh, Massachusetts, and I'm really getting ready to launch a whole CBD line again. I had a CBD line out. Uh, west and now i'm launching it again here on the east coast but pennsylvania was one of the markets that i had my eyes on and now all of a sudden is, is there something what's going on there when it comes to carts
1: well i think that pennsylvania is the classic example of a regulator that regulates by lore, and they have historically over the last several years regulated licensees by sending emails and giving opinions what happened in the vape cart is completely Um, again, this elephant gun, what they've decided is, look, we don't want any additives in our vape products at all. And they define additives to include terpenes. Terpenes. Terpenes are the naturally occurring flavors of a plant. Now, I will say that a terpene is a very material element of the plant and of a vape in terms of the entourage effect And the effect that the product can have on you. But you can buy terpenes that were derived from lemons and limes. You can buy terpenes that are synthetically made. Okay. You can buy terpenes from hemp, frankly, that are probably the best terpenes to buy if you're not getting them directly from the cannabis. But if you think about it, If you do a live resin processing, which is where you flash freeze the plant, you put it through processing and the oil comes out and you basically never separate out the terpenes, that would be fine. But the way people typically do it is they extract it. They separate out the cannabinoids and the terpenes and then they put them back in. Well, they're claiming that's an additive and somehow and then what they're doing is they're saying you're not allowed to add any additive that the FDA has not uh, determined to be grass, generally regarded as safe for consumption. Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with consumption. This is inhalation. It's a different thing, and they and the FDA isn't going to do that. Grass, the FDA, but the FDA, but the
0: FDA has already approved terpenes. Terpenes have been studied and researched oh, for, for years, 30, 40 years. Yeah, broccoli terpenes, terpenes and spinach, terpenes and vegetables, fruits, mercine. You know, those are chemicals that have been known for 40, 30, 30, 40 years. Plenty of research done on them. So they are already considered, you know, generally, you know, able to consume. So I don't understand. I, 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 part of, you know, I want to go back about, about seven years, but I was one of the first people to formulate products that had particular terpene Formulations in in them. I was selling them in California and in Oregon. Um, I created a a CBD line that had a specific terpene profile for the morning and afternoon line, and that's what I do right now. So I, I just find that absolutely ridiculous that somebody could arbitrarily say that. Well, you know, you can't put back in what you took out of the uh, right.
1: what? Right. Stupid. And, and and all because there are some additives that are added to it that can be harmful. So again, instead of identifying them, they identify five pages of things that include pure terpenes. So the industry is fighting it. There will probably be some lawsuits contesting their right to do this. It's inconsistent, but what, 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 what that highlights as well as some of the other things we've chatted about is the industry seems to be taking steps back. I'm not sure people appreciate That, you know, yeah, it's you're seeing weed everywhere. You saw I just saw a picture of Snoop Dogg. He was holding a blunt in the Super Bowl as he was performing in front of 100 million people. Right. It's people would say, oh, it's becoming accepted. It's things like this, what Pennsylvania has done, what JP Morgan has done and what we haven't even spoken about yet is that you've got sheriffs in jurisdictions like San Bernardino that are just pulling us over trucks, maybe because a light was out. And when the driver told him he's moving money that he got from cannabis dispensaries, by the way, legal cannabis dispensaries, they just take the money. Because why? (laughs) Because they can. The locals get 80 percent. The feds get 20 percent. They whack it up. We're talking about over a million dollars of money. And the industry can't operate unless we address these types of problems. Talk
0: a little bit about that some more because this is happening in Kansas, also, right? Kansas, answered, right. let people know what's, what's going on. You just kind of did it. Right. Let's talk about so, it in detail.
1: So, because the Safe Banking Act, which people may have heard about, has not passed, and there's no legislation yet that has passed both houses of the Congress and been signed that facilitate banking of cannabis. Cannabis. Marijuana is still a controlled substance. Technically, any movement of money derivative from that could have anti-money laundering consequences. There are major hurdles that you have to go through to bank it, to file uh, SARS, suspicious activity reports, etc. So very few banks, I believe the number may be around 700, if that, across the country, credit unions, are banking cannabis. So what does that mean? Well, cannabis, as we all know, is generating a lot of revenues and it's mostly cash because you can't credit card it. You you sometimes can use debit cards, but it's mostly cash. So a dispensary has a lot of cash on hand, which becomes, again, a public safety issue. You've got a business where a typical dispensary, I like to say, is millennials slinging a controlled substance for cash. How could anything bad happen? right? The fact is it happens all the time. And then when you have a safe full of cash, what do you do about it? You don't have, you generally don't have a bank, a, a conventional bank that you can take it to. So there are these companies like Imperial that have developed throughout, it's just not cannabis, but they have a company where they go. It's a it's a secure service that picks up the cash and drives it to the appropriate place, whether it be the Fed or a credit union that is going to take the cash. So it's that company that picked up cash in Sandy in California and then at points drove through Kansas and had that money stolen, literally stolen by the sheriff in a civil forfeiture. No evidence of illegality has been brought forth, but it's such a burden to get it back that right now it's just in litigation. And That's just going to inhibit other people from getting into the business, other banks from getting into the business, and ultimately having this industry become what it really needs to be. It's a wellness business, as you know, as well as anybody. There are efficacies of these cannabinoids beyond getting high that could be life-changing for many people, whether they be cancer patients, whether they be other epileptic patients, as we know, because they did approve Epidiolex for that. There's any number of things, if we could do the right trials, as you said, we don't have, we don't know what Delta-8 does to you. I can tell you this, Delta-8, there's nothing wrong with it if, if, it's, if it's manufactured appropriately. It has, it has less of the psychoactive, less of kind of the paranoia that some people may feel that they don't, but a very strong physical effect that can give you relaxation. People who are novice or aren't looking to get high might find Delta A to be a really nice alternative to getting shit face drunk, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably but, you know might-
0: but, but I mean, this, this whole idea of, 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 you know, threatening and, and making people feel paranoid about money. I mean, we we took a look at what was happening in California and in several places uh, back at the end of last year where there were several dispensaries just being robbed, just openly being robbed. And these are dispensaries that are paying taxes to the, to the local municipality for protection. And you would think that the police would go out and protect them, but now we're going to go back to, you know, the days of, you know, the mob and the, turn of the century where people are burying cans of cash out in the desert and having to go retrieve their cash and then having to figure
1: out how to launder it in a way that they can spend it. It's a very substantial public safety issue, and that's a common theme in our discussion here. We know of situations where dispensaries have been robbed at gunpoint and people have been killed, not for the weed, for the cash. If you have a lot of cash sitting around and you've got a bunch of young people overseeing it, you're going to have a problem at some point, and that's where this industry one of the problems that we have. And if we 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 can't have individual regulatory and law enforcement who don't understand, frankly, what the law is or what the product is, making those types of discretionary decisions in an industry that is a billion dollar plus industry right now.
0: Um, Doesn't that blow your mind? That out of that side of one side of the face they are attacking cannabis this way but out of the other side of the face they're allowing in certain places around the country psychedelics to now become mainstream you know there are ketamine clinics opening up where people are able to use the money from that they they you know get for that business and put that in the bank it just doesn't make i'm trying to make sense of this get this head of mine to understand does that not well, bother? You, know, I mean, you are you working in
1: hard it's hard to make sense of it, right? And what we like to say is we need normalization of the regulatory structures. And we need to, it needs to be consistent, like you're saying, across the board. We need to know what the products are so we can have interstate commerce. Um, part of the problem, you, re- you you just referenced taxes, okay? The, while on the one hand, they're getting those taxes. And in California, for instance, if you go into a typical dispensary and you want to buy, say, a a, a relatively good uh, flower, you're going to pay $65 for an eighth plus up to 30% of taxes. So going up to $90 for that eighth that if you call your local dealer who's working in the illicit market will get you that same product for $35 delivered to your door, hence 80% Of the california market is still illicit market okay how are we supposed to deal with this if law enforcement is busting the people that are operating legally and by the way arguably in contravention of Rohrbacher, which is a rider to the budget which has said that the department of justice is not allowed to use any of the funds under this federal budget to arrest legally operating medical marijuana dispensaries across the country, yet they did it. And that just causes people, fighting the government is expensive and they need to understand what we're doing. But the other problem is the main reason that most of these jurisdictions are willing to legalize cannabis is because of the taxes. But the problem we're always gonna have is that how are you gonna compete when the product, just like I described, why am I going into that dispensary and paying $90 when I can go to a guy that's giving me the best Humboldt County product? And I'm obviously, I have to get comfortable that it isn't using pesticides or if it's a vape product or other concentrate additives. But assuming I do, I don't think people are going to make that decision just because they want to comply with law.
0: You're absolutely right. And so, I mean, we're almost getting run out of time, but what do you think, what's your prediction for 2022? What do you think we are? I don't know. Do you know anything about, um, before we answer that prediction question, you know who Red Man is, right? hmm Okay. Well, you know, about a year and a half ago, Red Man and a group of people got together and they um, sought out uh, help from the Fed and literally launched a brand new, what's called the National Cannabis Party. NCP, which is now a federally regulated political party that has the ability to now you know, um, be included in every state across the country when it comes to federal uh, elections, and they're working very diligently at trying to be included in local municipality um, um, races across the country. Do you think it's going to take something like that to actually start to finally have some impact working with organizations like yours to see if we can get down to Washington, D.C. and make some changes? What, what do we got to do?
1: Um, I think that, and, and, and the, 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 you know, the DOJs, the FDAs, the DEAs, the USDAs are open to hearing and open to talking. And what we're going to continue to do is meeting with them, conducting <laughs> seminars for them advising them on how we think the regulatory structure could be altered to give better control over the public safety element, because that's the only thing that they should be caring about. Um, What's it going to take? We need some leadership. It would be helpful if we had a president that was um, interested in leading on this subject. Obviously, he's got a number of issues on the table that aren't as big as cannabis. But what we do have, unfortunately is a president that the minute he got elected made it pretty clear that he's not that into cannabis. I know. Well, but he
0: lied during the campaign, just like his, his uh, vice president did lied and made the statement that we're going to deal with this in the first hundred days. Right. He hasn't done a damn thing. And then came out, out, I think like day 30 or 40 and claimed, I still think it's a gateway drug. It's like somebody smacked this man upside his head. And I understand where he's coming from because you know, of all the issues that his family's had to deal with when it comes to addiction and other substances. However, you know, you made a promise. And, you know, coming up in, in midterms, I think, you know, the Republicans are going to shove some of this right back up the Democrats' rear end, and they're going to do it again in 2004. I mean, you know, come on. I, I think it's one of those things that you're going to see more discussions with candidates candidates about, oh, I really believe in uh, cannabis reform, and I'm going to work very hard at making sure just so they can get a vote and do the same thing that this guy did, and that's turn his back on us once they get in office.
1: So, well, here, ironic, ironically, the Republicans are being more thoughtful on this subject, correct? The Democrat Schumer is throwing everything in the kitchen sink into this legislation, which will never get passed. Never, you I know, and I, I heard, I heard, that heard that complicated.
0: Uh, uh, Booker's not helping at all, you know, was he's one of those you know, expressly asking for an even more exorbitant tax on top. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. How do we get through? What's your prediction for 2022, 2023, 2024?
1: Well, I think, I think this year I'm hopeful that we're going to see some banking movement, um, which hopefully will clear up some issues. Um, I don't think we're going to see any legalization uh, legislation that's going to get passed. Um, I'm not sure we're going to see anything until things dramatically change, maybe after midterms and there's something. Um, maybe there's gonna be some developments in this country. I mean, people wondered why I was so focused on Delta-8 a couple of years ago. They're like, what do you care so much about that? It's hemp, you're in the marijuana business. I'm like, it's the same business and it's the tip of the spear. If people can make psychoactive products and claim that they're legal and compete with people that are having to pay all these taxes, deal with all these regulations, it destroys the industry. We need to normalize the the regulatory infrastructure. We need to get all the different agencies together to work together rather than playing against each other and say, it's the DEA's place, it's the FDA's place. And where is the leadership gonna come from? And that's where I think we need. We need somebody or some group to be the leader on the subject. Um, It doesn't appear that it's going to come from the White House. And whether or not the White House will put up barriers will answer that question. And that's why I think legalization is significantly further off now.
0: And I mean, what do you think about what's going on in the industry, this consolidation in a way, you know, in the industry? You think that's positive or negative? I mean, you know, I've questioned some of the motives of some of those who are these big multi-state operators who you know, five, 10 years ago were people who thought that cannabis was a joke and shouldn't be made legal and all of a and they jumped into a business to make money rather than looking at the product for the health and wellness, you know, aspect that it is. But what do you think about this consolidation that's going on in the industry?
1: Well, I think that the multi-state operators do, um, I don't want to say pay lip service, but certainly talk about the wellness aspects of their business. But I can tell you in seeing how these are, dispensaries are operated, they want to sell weed. They want to sell as much of it as possible and they don't want anything to impede that. And again, they have the pressures of being a public company. They have the pressures of shareholders, of investors. This has become a financial engineering exercise, not a wellness exercise. And consolidation is natural, right? Because the smaller companies that originally got licenses can't compete. It is very expensive to do this, which, by the way, also is why the challenge of social equity being embedded into new legislation creates that um, conundrum. Is that, okay? we want to help a group of people that have been mistreated across the board by stupid regulatory infrastructure. That makes a lot of sense. But when you start saying we're going to give that group of people favored treatment to get licenses. What are you really saying? It takes millions of dollars and a huge amount of expertise to develop one of these licenses. Is that really going to happen? They're going to end up going to the same people who have the money. And as you know, the people who have the money call the shots. So I think we really need to assess what we're trying to achieve. And I think if I were going to break it down, we're trying to achieve use of this product on a widespread basis so we can get the efficacies like protect public safety while we're doing it and have consistent laws that don't, frankly, benefit some to the detriment of others like we have with the dichotomy of the Farm Bill and Controlled Substance Act.
0: And then what do you think about, you know, what's going on internationally? I'm involved with a company out of Colombia, which is One World Products, um, um, owned by or one of the, one of the uh, founders is Isaiah Thomas. Um, you know, in Colombia, they have close to you know a million hectares under contract. Uh, they have about their own 140,000 acres, and recently signed a bill with you know one of the big European car manufacturers to help produce hemp biomass for hemp plastics that will start to go into some of you know, the world's most sought after, you know, uh, vehicles. Um, and that's all public information. And they are a publicly traded company. They are going to start having impact worldwide because they are already, you know, they're building out their, their infrastructure and already have contracts to uh, uh, export um, not only flour, but extracts and isolates all over the world. And same thing is going to happen in South Africa. I'm involved with a company down in South Africa called Afro Helios, which is already has contracts and is already starting to export isolates all over the world, Israel, um, uh, Spain. Um, It seems like to me that the international producers are getting ready to stick a pole in the rear ends of the us producers because we're so caught up in our stupidity
1: and and clearly internationally this plant has been accepted in a number of ways way beyond what we've done in the united states canada is an example of that but canada's choking on it because it's too small the whole entire canada market is smaller than california and i know i've been working in thailand where they have legalized cannabis slowly Um, They have very little expertise. I think there's huge opportunity to import knowledge and expertise in some of these jurisdictions. Certainly down in South America, like you said, Mexico now has legalized it. It's going to create more pressures, but there's also pressures in the industry. I go back to standardization, right? Because the product that's coming out of Colombia, is that okay for the United States? What standards are they using? Is there any uniform standard? On on what the pro- how the products are cultivated and processed, um, you know. So that I work with a number of labs. I mean, currently I've, I'm a senior counsel at Royer Cooper Cone and Braunfeld, a, a boutique law firm that has a burgeoning cannabis practice. And I felt for me, I can make more of a difference than being in one particular company where I can hopefully impart some of this knowledge, but also do some of the public policy issues to help change some of these industry uh, developments. And I think that you point out internationally is just going to put even more pressure. We're falling behind. And particularly in hemp, right? We're going to lose a lot of that business. And there are a lot of hemp farmers in this country. And I think that the Farm Bill, when they amend it, needs to take into account that this is a cannabis sativa L plant. And we're talking about cannabinoids. We're not talking about some artificial designation of hemp that can be loopholed into selling the product that you don't want sold in that realm.
0: Gotcha. Well, my friend, I got to thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We're out of time, but I would love to have you back anytime you want. You have a home here. You can always come on. I know that my viewers and listeners will be thrilled with the information that you imparted today. So Gary Kaminsky, Thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir.
1: Thank you. It's my honor.
0: It's my honor, too. And, you know, at some point in time, I'll pull you aside for a sidebar, and we can talk about some of the things that I'm working on and see if, you know, maybe you can give us a little help and a little advice down that road. Okay. No,
1: absolutely. As I said, I'm right in Coconut Grove. So we're neighbors, I think.
0: Okay, okay, my friend, you be well. I mean, we'll catch up yep. look somewhere. Okay. Thank All you. right. And, and when I do, when I come to you, I will bring a blunt.
1: Okay. Right.
0: <laughs> right. You be well. Take care of yourself and stay safe out there. And thank you for what you do. And thank you for tuning into this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montal. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montal. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.